All right, welcome back to another Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. I'm very excited about today's conversation. It's a different one for us. Instead of talking to an expert or someone in the news, this one involves a compelling new startup involving health and a technology that I got to try recently. Some of you may have heard of Prenuvo. It's a new whole body MRI scan that allows you to be proactive about your health. Now that I'm in my early 40s, when with various family health history, I wanted to be proactive about what's going on inside. And my wife, Alex, had heard about these guys, Prenuvo, uh, and the whole body MRI scans that they're doing. So I connected with them, did the scan. And today I welcome Andrew Lacey, the founder and CEO of Prenuvo, to talk about what inspired him to create this technology, how he's trying to revolutionize healthcare, making it less about sick care and more about arming you with data about your health uh, proactively. We talk about MyScan and the technology writ large, as well as some of the criticism they have gotten. Uh, We discuss that. So I think you're really going to enjoy today's conversation. Before we get started here, a reminder to consider joining Mo News Premium for early access to podcast episodes like this one, extra content on our private Instagram account. It's a way to support what we're doing here at Mo News, support independent journalism. Added Plus is the access to the members-only pod, members-only Instagram feed. You can get it for just $7 a month or $70 a year. That's two free months on the annual package. There's also a lifetime subscription option, so check that out over at mo.news slash premium. All right, finally, before we go to the conversation, I want to mention there's an exclusive code for the Mo News community. We've linked to it in the show notes. But Prenuvo is offering $300 off your first scan with the code MONEWS. You can head over to Prenuvo, P-R-E-N-U-V-O.com slash MONEWS. It's linked in the show notes. Again, $300 off with the Mo News code. All right, let's get started here. All right, I'd like to welcome Andrew Lacey, the founder and CEO of Prenuvo, onto the podcast. Andrew, great uh, chatting with you. How are you doing? It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So Prenuvo is a preventative healthcare company that uses whole body MRI scans. Right now, you have nine locations across North America and the U.S. and Canada. Your goal to bring medicine more into proactive screening as opposed to treating the sick. And I'd love to start with how this all started. Take me back to the concept, why you decided this was necessary. Take me back to 2018. Sure. So 2018, I was just coming off a startup. Um, I'm a SEAL entrepreneur. I used to live in Silicon Valley. I'm now in LA, um, where I think it's a little bit healthier than living. But I definitely didn't look after myself. And uh, I was sort of, I remember waking up and looking in the mirror and, you know, knowing everything about the outside of my body, but not knowing about anything inside the body. And I felt that I'd been working very hard and I'd seen the fruits of that in my career and, you know, financially, but I had no idea of the cost that I was sort of inflicting on the inside of my body. So this started with a journey to figure out what's on the other side of that equation. And uh, I ran into a radiologist. uh, His name is Dr. Raj Adariwala in a clinic up in Vancouver, Canada, who was doing an earlier version of what is now the Prunivo scan. I went and got the scan and... I learned more about my health than the health system had told me my entire life. Thankfully, I learned that I wasn't, I didn't have any horrible sort of life-threatening disease, but there was a lot of things that I could work on and I could directly see, for example, the impact on my spine of my, the sort of the fact that I spent a lot of time in front of a computer. I learned that from my scan recently too. (laughs) (laughs) The thing that I found like most and unexpected, if I'm being totally honest, is just the peace of mind I got from knowing that there was nothing crazy going on under my skin. I don't consider myself a person that worries a lot, but you know, I used to get a lot of headaches, 
probably because I don't sleep enough. And there's always that little voice inside your head saying, well, maybe that's something else. And, you know, if you have abdominal pain from time to time, there's always that little voice saying, oh, you know, maybe that's my colon or, you know, something that could be quite serious. And so just knowing that um, more or less um, there's nothing crazy going on inside just gave me such tremendous energy. And sort of I felt like I was walking on clouds for several weeks. And really, that was the moment when I realized wouldn't it be amazing to bring this service to as many people as possible. Not only will we save lives, but people would just be able to focus on living their life rather than worrying about their underlying health. And what has that process been like the last six years as you've grown the company? What have you learned both about uh, the patients and I'm particularly interested in what you've learned about the healthcare system? Well, I have to be honest, like it takes uh, sort of a mountain and probably it's easier to address the second part of that question rather than the first one, which is when we first started um, and, and got involved in the process of expanding outside of Vancouver, Canada, I mean, there wasn't a lot of believers among the investor community or even the medical community. And we ended up having to bootstrap a clinic. We got a bank loan to open up a clinic in Silicon Valley. What was the pushback you were getting at the time? Well, I think every investor either had a personal doctor or there was a physician on a, their investment committee. And without knowing too much about the specifics of the screening that we do, there had just been many attempts at screening, whole body screening in the past, typically with a, a modality called CT, which just had been a universally bad idea. And to some extent, that had poisoned the well for anyone else that might be looking at this space. What was the issue with the CT? So CT screening started probably 20 or 30 years ago. In fact, 20 years ago, you could find a place in a mall, in most malls, where you could lie down and in 5, 10 minutes, they would do a screening for uh, cancer. The problem with that was twofold. One is those CT machines 20 years ago actually involved the use of a lot of radiation. So the more you did the screening, the more your odds of cancer increased. So mm. sort of like morbidly... If you got screened routinely, you might be causing the cancer that unfortunately these screen, this screening modality tr has trouble picking up, which is the second problem. Um, CT is a spinning x-ray. And for anyone that's broken a bone, you know, you know that you get x-ray, it's very good at bones, but it's not very good at soft tissue. And of course, um, that's where almost all the cancers begin. So it, it's a, it was a technology that radiated patients and then was not very um, sensitive for the thing that it claimed to be sensitive for. But your screening mechanism, your Prenuvo machines, MRA machines, they do not involve any radiation? They don't involve any radiation. So we use a technology called MRI, which um, is essentially a big magnet. And we um, pulse the hydrogen in your body to align it in a certain direction. And then when it relaxes, it gives off a little signal. And we pick up that signal with some antennas in the room, and we can convert that signal into a three-dimensional picture of your body. And because most parts of our body have hydrogen, which is the molecule that we're exciting, we can then look at every organ in, in exquisite detail and essentially diagnose anything that we can see physiologically with these machines. You list uh, about 500 conditions you scan for. Without having to go through the entire list, Andrew, can you give me a sense, give the audience a sense of in doing the Prenovo scan, what essentially are you scanning for? Yeah. So again, we can see pretty much everything that's not just purely metabolic. So obviously, uh, there are certain things that you can see with a blood test that you can't see with an MRI machine. So we can't tell you whether you have diabetes, but we can see the end organ damage of having diabetes. We can't tell you if you have high blood pressure, but we can see the end organ damage 
from high blood pressure. About the only organ that we can't look at very um, in, in a lot of detail is the heart. And that's mainly a question of time because the heart is beating and you're breathing. So there's a lot of movement there. And to gate for that movement means it takes a lot of time to capture images. And so that's about the only part of the body where there's a lot of efficacy in using CT. So, you know, you mentioned some of the pushback you got initially. I want to go through some of the critiques that I've seen out there of Prenuvo. You've heard them before. Uh, radiologists say that uh, full-body MRI scanning can do more harm than good. False positives, detection of benign abnormalities uh, could send, you know, patients down a path of unnecessary follow-ups. Um, the American College of Preventative Medicine, the FDA, says there's limited evidence that these preventive screenings are cost-effective or beneficial. It's not covered by insurance. And then, you know, there's just the larger arguments about patients seeing odd lumps and oddities and having to follow up on them uh, can be both costly and dangerous. So, you know, I want you to speak to some of the critiques out there. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there uh, to unpack. <laughs> sort of at a high level, I can speak to maybe an experience I've had multiple times, less so these days, mainly because I spend less time in the clinics. But I remember in the very early days, especially when we were raising our first fundraising round in Silicon Valley, there were um, investors that would bring radiologists in to evaluate what we're doing. And it was somewhat delightful because uh, these radiologists would come from these very storied institutions. And you could see when they came in the door, the look on their face was, ah, you know, these investors are asking me to evaluate this company that's going to be nothing. And then we would take them through, a, you know, a set of results. And over the course of half an hour of going through these results, we would just see them literally fall off their chair. And when they pick themselves back up, they're like, holy cow, you know, this is actually really good. And so most of those criticisms are criticisms that are not actually leveled at Pranuvo. These are criticisms that are leveled at whatever type of whole body screening those physicians might have been exposed to. And you would really struggle to find anyone that would speak out against Pranuvo who has firsthand knowledge about what we do, because what typically happens is they bring their partner, you know, their spouse or partner in, and then they start referring patients. And so there's a real information asymmetry here, which is obviously concerning because uh, a lot of patients who might consider these scans are obviously mindful of some of the criticism that people are saying. But at the same time, from a business point of view, it's that information asymmetry is where businesses get created. And, uh, you know, and, and to some extent, that's, it reflects just how bullish we are about the um, potential for this technology to really change healthcare. What do you make of the American College of Radiology saying, you know, these tests lead to harmless findings called incidentalomas that lead patients on a uh, merry-go-round of follow-up testing or complicated procedures that then end up having their own risks? What is your response to that? Uh, that was historically, that's been a very valid criticism about screening. I, I just think that, again, the machines that we use, which are custom built for whole body uh, screening, the uh, image acquisition techniques that we use, which enable us to acquire clinical diagnostic images, which was not the case with previous screening. The radiology approach that we use, which is all about risk stratifying what we see, which is how you need to diagnose conditions in a screening context, mean that the amount of follow-up is orders of magnitude less than what you would expect. Doesn't mean there isn't follow-up because you know there are going to be concerning things that we find in the body and by concerning, I mean, we've, we feel very, we have a high degree of certainty that this is something that may well be, for example, a neoplasm. Not every one of those concerning findings ends up being a neoplasm. And to be perfectly honest, I think that's a great outcome for the patient. 
But, you know, the level of false positives that we're seeing, I don't believe is materially different to other screening tests that are actually approved and part of standard of care screening. Is there a larger issue here in terms of the entire system, at least in the U.S., is based on sick care and not proactive care? I mean, is there underlying business reason for that? I mean, what in terms of the observations you've made these six years, is that part of the, the pushback that we're seeing is that you're breaking the business model to a certain extent here, Andrew? I don't think so. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's that argument that's often level, which is this is a... Um, you know, there's sort of like big pharma or big health or whatever you want to call it that sort of is, you know, um, highly dependent and profiting from our sick care system. Right. I think it's more there's just, you know, there's a lot of, I think it's healthy to have skepticism about um, new approaches to medicine. I think the challenge as it relates to preventive health is that it can take actually quite a bit of time to collect the type of evidence that physicians are looking for or policymakers are looking for in deciding whether to cover a test at the population level. And that doesn't mean that the test isn't tremendously beneficial to individuals. It's just that if you're, if, if the evidence you need to collect is, does this reduce or does this sort of like help people live longer? That's a 30 or 40 year study. So I think physicians, my ask would be to just be a little bit more curious and, you know, reach out and um, seek to learn a little bit more about how this technology has evolved and what it is that actually Prinivo is doing, and then form your own opinion, informed by evidence about whether these techniques are appropriate for your patients, you know, versus sort of like uh, being instantly dismissive based on a, some sort of generic understanding about screening. So I first learned about you from two places. One, my wife had been talking about you guys. She's very into proactive care. And then I saw the headline over the summer, or was it late spring, about Maria Menudos, uh, the journalist um, that found she had pancreatic cancer based on her Pranuvo scan. Can you tell me uh, Maria's story and how many of those have, have you found so far in a few years of Pranuvo? I can only speak to what she has said publicly, which is, you know, she was a bit symptomatic and she was concerned and she went and got a CT scan. So again, um, you know, there's that modality at play and the uh, institution where she got that CT scan said that there's nothing going on. And it was only when, you know, a couple of months later when the pain persisted and she came in and did a scan with us that we saw this very concerning mass that was then, uh, you know, confirmed by her uh, care team. So does that happen very often? Absolutely. I would say the most common thing we see is simply just people that have indeterminate symptoms and our health system does a really poor job of addressing those uh, quickly. So, you know, if you break your arm, it is kind of pretty obvious to the health system what's going on. It's an easy thing to diagnose and treat. If you have intermittent headaches or you start, you just feel unexplainably fatigued, these are the sort of things where um, our health system just takes you know, it goes through a whole list of things that are more common, way less deadly. And, you know, and that's why you have a situation where the average time it takes for a cancer to be diagnosed from the time that you present um, to a physician to a diagnosis can be like three, six, nine months. Well, are you locating the cancer itself or just the conditions that the conditions that could be cancer? Yeah. So, well, let's talk a little bit about how we do this, because yeah. I think that's really important. So, with MRI, we're able to filter for a number of different things. And it's the combination of those filters that make the technique really powerful. So we can tune the machine to filter for fat, for proteinaceous tissues, so protein, for fluid, for blood. And we have a really special filter that we're a world leader at, which is um, something we call diffusion, which is not obvious by the name. Um, it's actually filtering for hardness. 
And why hardness is so important is, you know, it's the same reason why we, we suggest women do a breast self-examination from time to time, which is that, and this is important, not all lumps that you feel are cancer, but all cancer are lumps. And so we can use the combination of these filters to basically build a three-dimensional picture of the inside of your body. In fact, it's multidimensional because we have all these different filters. So we can look at any one little pixel inside your liver and we can figure out exactly what is it composed of. Is it composed? Is it solid? Is it fluid? Does it contain blood? And some of these signals are just signals of something very benign. And it's, and we can be very definitive that this is something you don't need to worry about. But sometimes those signals, the combination of those filters point to something that's much more concerning. And then we want to go down a different path with that patient. So that's how we do it, essentially, is we have these sort of Instagram-like filters where we can filter every organ and sort of see how it looks. And our wonderfully talented radiologists know how to read all these pictures together to be able to risk stratify anything that we see. Yeah, I want to talk. So I did my scan in late July. Pretty easy process, little to no prep. There's, I don't have to drink anything beforehand, etc. Showed up, changed. You have a pretty um, robust snack cabinet at the location I went to <laughs> in New York. Picked uh, something to watch on Netflix. Um, went to the scan, did that for an hour was sent on my way. And then within a week or two, got my results. And literally, it separates them out nervous respiratory system, circulatory system, endocrine system, urinary, digestive, etc, color coded. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, found the same skeletal issues that you have the spine issues of clearly, I spent too much time on my phone, uh, upper neck, and then some lower lumbar stuff. Um, but interestingly, you also found a small cyst on my liver, but you were able to identify listen, it's a simple cyst. It's nothing to worry about. Yeah, no, everyone has them. They think of them like, uh, just like we all have moles and pimples on the outside of our body, we have these same sort of things happening inside the body. And um, it's really important to be able to categorize those things as benign. Otherwise, you would run into the problem that is the basis of some of this criticism, which is there'd be too many things that you would be chasing up. Yeah. What we've found universally is if we can provide patients with a clear accounting of what we're seeing, and are able to risk stratify that in a clear way and provide clear recommendations that patients, you know, they generally value being informed and being in control of their health. And in doing this now for 12 years, patients behave very smartly about their own health. They don't they behave in a way that doctors often characterize them as, you know, doing crazy things if they've given more information. That's not been our experience in 12 years of clinical practice. So talk to me about the cost of doing this and whether as the technology evolves here, you'll be able to bring the price point down to make it more accessible to more folks. Yeah, so we're, we currently offer a cancer screening exam for $999, uh, which we think is a pretty incredible price, actually. Uh, and then we do this comprehensive exam, which is the one that you did, where the patient, we go through the entire body of the patient, we go organ by organ, condition by condition. And if we see something, what is it? What is the significance of it? And most importantly, what should you do about it? And so think of it like a, you know, 100 plus point checkup of your health. As we grow the company, the goal really is to bring the cost down so that more and more people can access this. And our objective in the future is something that might cost something around $500. Now, how do we achieve that? Scale the business would be the first lever. The second lever is speed up the time it takes to acquire those images in that machine because the machine is expensive. Um, and the less time you spend in it, you know, the more savings we can pass on to you. And then the third would be the use of AI to really streamline the radiology process. And we're 
actively working on all three of these. Are you incorporating AI right now as part of the assessment or is it not there yet? There is AI incorporated in the scan, mainly around speeding up image acquisition. I have a wonderful team of AI scientists. Um, they're publishing a lot of papers right now. Um, they're, they've built a lot of really interesting models and we're really excited for those to go through the, you know, a regulatory process so that we can incorporate them in part of the product. I would say what's really unique about our AI and the thing I'm most excited about is that almost every single AI company in the medical imaging space is building AI on top of hospital data. And hospital data is universally uh, images of people that have advanced disease. The patients that we see are people that have very early stages of disease. So the AI that we're training is really AI that's looking to pick up very subtle signals that, you know, of these early stage disease, and then also picking up very subtle signals of just how our bodies are aging. How is my brain aging relative to my, my um, biological age? How does my spine look relative to my biological age? So like being able to, I believe over time, provide us with real important and personalized feedback on you know, how we're doing and what are the things that we should focus on if we want to live a uh, life that is as long as possible and as healthy as possible. So you were met initially with skepticism five years ago. Has that softened a bit? And, and I'm curious, you know, most recently, if you're starting to having better conversations with hospitals and, you know, various medical companies, et cetera. It has. Um, we now have hundreds of physicians that refer us routinely patients. We have many physicians actually that incorporate us in their annual preventive health checkups for their patients. So this is a big deal. We've started to now engage with employers and we have a number of employers that are offering these scans for all of their staff. Oh, wow. And some of those are the type of companies you might consider to be early adopters like technology companies. But even more, I would say, interestingly, um, some of those companies are businesses that have a much higher risk of cancer. For example, we work with a number of fire brigades, um, we work with my, some mining companies, construction companies, forestry companies. So these are all professions where your risk of cancer is much higher because of the nature of the work. Mm. What's the end goal here, Andrew? What's the vision 10 years, 20 years down the road? Am I going to show up to every Walgreens and see one of those machines? I'm going to see these in Walmart. Uh, you know, are you going to try to revive the shopping mall <laughs> idea that failed for the CT folks? Um, do, you, do you have a vision of, of where you'd like to see these in the future? Well, I think we started the whole thing really, to be honest, at its core, we're a bunch of really passionate geeks and scientists that in some ways are trying to create the machine and the medical service that we see on every science fiction movie. Um, and I, it feels sometimes like as a society, we're going to invent warp drive before we even invent like that little medical device that can sort of diagnose everything you have. So that's what, that's what we're working on doing. Um, I imagine a future where you turn up to a facility that probably is as common in your neighborhood as Starbucks and, you know, every 12 months and you line a machine for a scan that might take anywhere from five minutes to 20 minutes based on what we see as we're scanning you. Mm -hmm. And that by the time you get out of that machine, you already have a report. And um, for the vast majority of people, that report will just be an all clear and you just keep going about your life until your next scan. And for those that there's something they need to follow up, there's a, you know, they, the door opens, they talk to a physician and they're directed to the care that they need as early as possible in the progression of disease. And if we do that, we'll save millions of lives. I think we'll re-engineer the healthcare system to be much smaller um, and focus around preventive health and we'll make the world a happier place. Good vision. <laughs> Tell me, is, is there, are there conversations with insurance companies? Do you imagine there's a day down the road where insurance covers part of this? 
so these these first um, companies that are starting to cover us um, with for their employees, yeah. the way that coverage works is typically it's still administered by an insurance company. Mm-hmm. And so it, it sort of becomes the first pilots for insurance companies to really understand, you know, how do these scans work and what's the actual downstream effect on care, either positively or negatively, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, the positive might be we catch most cancers at stage one and we know that that's going to be a lot less expensive to treat. You know, and the downstream might be, well, what are the tests um, are these patients doing you know, as a result of follow-up they need to do from the scan. And we believe because we've been in clinical practice for 12 years that that equation is going to be very positive for insurance companies. And the challenge really is to prove it to them over the sort of populations they handle. And over time, these things will get covered by insurance companies. Tell me, I, I want to throw this question out here just because it's, it's a trial I've covered, which is the Theranos trial. I was curious, um, again, not relating you to them at all, but only in the in the scope of things, which is, Elizabeth Holmes had a vision for preventative care, you know, blood tests and every pharmacy and obviously turned out to be a complete fraud. Um, curious, though, what impact that has had. Has that made your job more difficult in the kind of post Theranos era? Or are most investors and most people related to this savvy enough to understand the difference uh, differences? Or are they asking certain questions as sort of the, the lesson and the fallout of all of that? Well, yeah, I don't pretend to be an expert on microfluidics, but I was at a health conference in Vegas a couple of weeks ago, and there was actually some other microfluidics companies, and I felt particularly sorry for them. (laughs) And I thought what was really funny was um, all of them had transparent see-through. They had these boxes that were sort of like a Theranos box, and the walls of the box were all transparent and see-through. And I'm like, hmm. Interesting choice, design choice. I'm like, is that just so people know that there's something inside the box? Right, right, because of course, Theranos was using other people's parts, (laughs) other machines, (laughs) and slapping their label on it. And my understanding, actually, that the science of microfluidics, so the sort of thing that they were working on, actually has advanced quite a bit. I mean, and that's as much knowledge as I know. So I feel particularly sorry for those companies that are working on advancing that field. I think for us, it's more, um, I think it gave license to a lot more skepticism around breakthrough medical science. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a little bit sad. It's sad because, you know, we have already 40 years of cancer moonshots that haven't really gone anywhere. And if there's one thing that um, really characterized the actual moonshot of the 60s was a suspension of disbelief and a belief that we could actually make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I think, unfortunately, that's a lot harder in a post-Theranos environment. Andrew, anything else you'd like to add? Wow. Um, I mean, obviously, I would encourage anyone to come in and get a scan. And certainly, if they have any questions, to reach out to us. And we'd be happy to really answer those questions. And if the test is right for you, um, help get you in. If it's not, um, suggest what other tests might be more appropriate. Uh, For people that are a little bit on the fence about coming in because they're worried about what they might find, I would say that's an entirely natural reaction. And I would stop and think for a little bit why do we feel this way? What is it? And the argument I would make is that has less to do with us and has everything to do with the healthcare system that we have today. Because the second you walk inside the doors of a hospital, you're already symptomatic. And in fact, the vast majority of cancers that are caught in an acute care setting are advanced cancers that you had no idea that you had. And so even the idea that you might get diagnosed with a disease is a scary thing because disease is defined by our healthcare system as advanced yeah. and scary and expensive and difficult to treat. 
And I think the world that we're trying to create is one where disease is not a scary word um, because everything we're catching, we're catching early. And it's about preventative maintenance of our bodies and the sort of treatments that you need may be very inexpensive or you may not need medicine at all. You just need to modify your lifestyle. So, for example, you might need to sit up more. You might need to have better posture when you sit. I'm, I'm, I'm going to lean back as I speak to you here, Andrew, realizing I've been crouching. Yeah. So that's, you know, uh, that's the sort of sort of like the, the meta goal in some ways of what we do is to redefine how the world even thinks about disease. And so we'll know we will have made it when no one is scared to get these types of tests because we know we will change the public perception of what managing their healthcare really means. Andrew, I appreciate you coming on, clarifying things, answering the questions, answering the criticism and providing the service that you provide. Uh, Andrew Lacey, the founder and CEO of Pernuvo. Thanks. Thank you very much. Great to be here. All right. I want to thank Andrew Lacey again for that conversation. It's fascinating as technology continues to evolve and innovation happens in our healthcare space. I want to mention again, uh, before we go, that we have a special partnership with Prenuvo. They have an exclusive code for the MoNews community. You can get $300 off your scan with the code MoNews. You can head over to prenuvo.com slash MoNews. That is P-R-E-N-U-V-O dot com slash MoNews. It's linked in the show notes in today's episode if you just want to click through right now. Anyway, thanks for everyone's support. I hope you got a lot out of today's episode and we'll see you back here soon.